It's 9 o'clock and time for We Are Just Christians, live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Ray. Good morning, Ray, and good morning to all of you out there. This show, we really appreciate tuning in. Hope you can stay with us for the next hour or any part of that. We Are Just Christians is a live call-in show. We'll be on till 10 o'clock this morning discussing various spiritual matters. Of course, we have some things prepared we can talk about, but we're most interested in your calls, comments, questions, whatever's on your mind. So let me give you the numbers to how to reach us here in Port St. Lucie. You can reach us live at 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is the live call-in number. And um, my name is Mike Schmidt. I'm one of the elders and the preacher here at the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard. And my text number is 772-260-6120. That's the text number, 772-260-6120. And Gary Jones, how you doing, Gary? I'm here this morning. The, the other co-host is Gary Jones. And his text number is 772-260-6220. So you can reach us live by calling in we love that because we can interact with you a little bit and then we like it when you text in we've already got a text this morning gary so we'll deal with that in just a moment but um <clears throat> we like it when you text in if you can't call in we appreciate you doing that and you, of course you can text us anytime during the week we don't mind that i know those are our cell phone numbers but that's all right nobody's abused that to this point we glad we're glad that you'll Feel free to contact us. We can even respond during the week or at whenever time is convenient. But uh, I will say this about calling in. Let me give you the, a little bit of the parameters so you know kind of what's going to happen. If you call in, we want to have a conversation if, you, if we can. If you would rather just ask a question and hang up, of course, that's your prerogative. But uh, we'd like to have a conversation with you. And so we're going to give you the last word. We're not going to intimidate you or try to embarrass you in any way if you call in we just want to hear what you have to say and if you're not a believer don't like the church think it's all you know whatever uh, we really welcome your call we appreciate you doing that it's pr- pretty enlightening helpful and we don't mind that discussion at all if you're not a believer or not a churchgoer or anything like that or if you just disagree with what you hear on this show maybe you're a religious person just disagrees uh, feel free to call in about that we'd be glad to hear from you or if you've got any kind of other criticisms about the show, we'd be glad to hear about that too. We don't mind. And uh, we, we would think it would make, it, make interesting radio for people that are listening and spur some thought. And our point here is, on We Are Just Christians, we're going to try to give you some scripture to go with whatever topic is being discussed so you can look it up for yourself and, and make up your own mind about that. We're going to try to give you a Bible answer for whatever question or topic we comes up we come up with, because we believe that the Word of God, although the Bible was completed over two thousand years ago, God's revelation was completed then. That it's still uh, absolutely relevant today, and God intended it to be that way. He wrote it so that it would be something that would be useful all down through time, because human beings don't change. Circumstances change, but human beings don't change. And so the Word of God is written to reflect that, the relationship between God and man. That's kind of our core belief. So we're going to try to point you to the Scriptures for an answer for those things, one way or the other. Sometimes we talk about what people consider politics, but that's because it relates intersects with spiritual things. Sometimes we talk about, you know, different things going on in the religious world that we read about. Sometimes we talk about a topic that people bring up. Um... So there's a whole wide variety of things we talk about in this show. So if you'll give us a listen for a few weeks, hope you'll get catch the drift of it. And uh, that's what it is, 772-340-1590 is how you reach us. We'd be glad to hear from you this morning. Now, I just now happen to look at this text. So we're going to take the text, if I can find it here, Gary, nice and cold, okay? Okay. Uh, uh, that's Without uh, another subject started. Yes, that's part of the... Uh, interesting part about this show is that sometimes we're simply hearing something the same exact time the other listeners are and so we uh, are responding in that way hope you will understand that so we're going to always try to do the best we can with that now 
Ken texts in and says, Matthew twenty-seven sixteen through 21 says, and the, pe- and the people said, give us Barabbas. And so repeating this message may be harmful to your health. Matthew 27, verse 16 beginning. You got there? I'm going to look it up myself here. And uh, uh, I got it here. Go ahead. Um, basically, it reads, And at that time they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to him, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. And while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent, sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with this just man. For I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. And the governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Yes. You know, uh, a couple things about this. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm guessing, I'm going to take a guess in a moment as to what the texture means. And you can text back in with more if you think that would be the case. Until I'm going to kind of guess at what I think he's partly getting at in just a moment. Just as a little bit of background about this, the, the Barabbas, Barabbas was a, a an insurrectionist and a, we would call him a very felonious man. Can, they didn't crucify people uh, for parking tickets in the Roman Empire, generally speaking, unless they went into a city and were conquering it and wanted to get rid of all the rebels. But in this situation, more like capital punishment, <clears throat> it was reserved for the worst kinds of people accused of the worst kinds of crimes. And so, <clears throat> but, but his name, Bar Abbas, means son of the father. And so there's a meaning in his name that in English we don't catch. Abba, father, it says. Remember that Jesus is yeah, right. Abba, Abba is a Greek word for father or even papa. And bar means son of. So in, like in the King James, in Matthew 16, it will say, um, Simon Bar-Jonah, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father and so forth. Well, Bar-Jonah means to simply son, son, son of, of John or Jonah, son of John. And, and a lot of the newer translations, rather than putting in that Hebrew, will put in the, the phrase son of John, as it were, <clears throat> or John's son. So Bar Jonah and then Bar Rabbas is son of the father. So it isn't an accident, I don't think, that there's two men standing before Pilate and the people, mostly the people of Israel. There is the real son of the father, and then there's a man named the son of the father who's a wicked, horrible man. They have this choice. They can pick between the two. God's son or the man named Son of the Father, the and Father's kind of, the Father's. Kind of leaves you with the impression that both of them <laughs> bear the image of their father. Well, they do because they're both men, that's yeah, right. right. But there's two different kinds of people here. And so they, Pilate, whether he realizes it or not, you know, he puts forth these two people. Apparently it was a custom, you read this in the Bible, that on, on the Passover he would release a notorious prisoner. Nothing in the law about this, but he would release a notorious prisoner or someone that they wanted. Well, we, he, we would often call them political prisoners today, but not always. Well, even at that, he was given to be an insurrectionist or an evil sort of man. You kind of get the idea that maybe he's like his father. His father was the same way. Well, could be, yes. And then what you have, Mike, is here is a choice between good and evil. Well, that's what I'm, that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, you got good and evil, two different men, two different kinds of lives have been led. And um, you can release one. So Pilate kind of, I, I believe Pilate was a weak man, obviously. He was trying to get Jesus off here and say, well, surely they won't pick Barabbas. Well, I think he was also a superstitious man because of that phrase that his wife told him. You know, I've had a dream. You, you better not have anything to do with this guy. Well, we don't even know if the, the dream may have come from God, but maybe or whatever, not. Whatever, or a vision. But he... he um, he doesn't pay attention to her either, sort of. Well, she says, I have suffered he many should have things today in a dream because of him. Yes. He should have released, based on his wife's testimony. He should release he him. He should have released him. 
And so I think he's hoping that they'll say, sure, this man's been creating mayhem in Jerusalem and around there. They knew this Barabbas. And he says, surely they won't say, release Charles Manson, will they? Right. You know, surely they'll say, release this person, this good man, even though we don't like what he teaches. Surely they won't want me to release Charles Manson or Ted Bundy back into the population. But no, they cry out and say, give us Barabbas. So the, so the warning, is, re- repeating this, that is saying, give us Barabbas, this is the text from Ken, uh, may be harmful to your health. Meaning that if, if Americans, I'm going to guess now, this is where I'm guessing, Gary. I'm going to guess that uh, he's saying, uh, choosing the wrong man to follow, to be released, as it were, into society is going to be harmful to Christians and Americans' health. And I think that's right, that, that we have this, um, we have a choice between good and evil usually before us, which yes. way we're going to go, and um, we can choose the wrong people to follow, we can choose the wrong leaders, as it were. So, yes, are we saying give us Barabbas? It's, a, it's an interesting account when you think about that, that people had, that they had this choice. You know, it reminds me of something else I read this week, Gary. It's maybe not the same. Off the topic, it's a little bit. When, um, when the Jews finally gave in to Pilate here, they, uh, he, he had him crucified. And it says in, Matt, in John 19, in verse 19, 9, John 19, 19, it says, Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the Romans had a name for this, the titulum or something like that, that they would, they would usually put either the name and or the crime of the person that was being crucified. So people knew who he was and what his crime was, or maybe just the crime sometimes. And the writing was <clears throat> that Pilate instructed him, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And some say it should say Jesus of Nazareth and King of the Jews. It says, now when many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. He wanted everybody to read this sign. Everybody passing by could read one of those three languages. And so he says, it said, Therefore the chief priests and the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. I love that statement. It's, what, it's the only courageous thing Pilate did here, really, in the long run, in the big picture of things. Well, the, the other thing that, that jumps out at me about what happened here is goes on in the last few verses of Matthew, uh, when Pilate basically said, what will I do with Jesus? And they said, crucify him. And Pilate says, you know, basically, uh, this man hadn't done anything to warrant crucifixion, which is what we talked about. Uh, Not the kind of things that they usually crucify people for. Right, and and he says, I am innocent of his blood, and basically washed his hands of it. And then all the people, in verse 25 of Matthew, it says, uh, Matthew 27, and all the people answered and said, his blood be on us and on our children. And basically it was. And a little bit later, though, they said, this man, Paul, he was trying to bring the blood of the of Jesus on us. But yeah. they, they so tried they, to go back on They it. wanted to deny it later on. Uh, well, but then again, when he was crucified, there were some things that happened that kind of probably shook him up a little bit, too. Well, Gary, uh, before you go on with that, where I was going with this business about the title of the cross is I read something this week from a Hebrew um, scholar basically saying, person knows he's a Hebrew Jewish Christian in his view, when you take the letters of the Hebrew, of the, uh, of the uh, phrase in Hebrew that he would have written in Hebrew, said it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. And when you do take them and, and you write them backwards as Hebrew run, writes from east, not from right to left, it would be the first letters, if you take each letter, of the word Yahweh. So, oh, really? Yes. And they, he, he thinks that's maybe, because it may, may have been written in such a way to emphasize that, yeah. that he was writing Yahweh over there. Whether Pilate knew this or not, I have no way of knowing, but as it turned out, he wrote Yahweh. Now, that I'm, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I'm not going to pretend to be one. I'm telling you what I have read, and, and I think the person is fairly reliable about that. But we wouldn't catch this again. <clears throat> Pardon me this morning. In, in English, we wouldn't catch this 
uh, even if it was written out in Hebrew, because we would be reading naturally from left to right, and you have to read it the other way to get the word Yahweh, because Yahweh is always written the other way. So in any event, I thought that was interesting. I, uh, um, that, and that's why the Jews rejected this saying so much. Plus, and normally they wouldn't want their king being hung up to be crucified, but this is... This was Pilate's way of poking him in the eye. Oh, you want me to kill him? He says he's your king. You haven't shown me he's not your king, so let's just uh, put the name up here, you know. Well, he's, it says in verse 19, he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. They had uh, an agenda that was was corrupt and, and against their own law. Right. And, and so, the, as Ken says in another text, he says, the enemies of Jesus uh, convinced the people to pick Barabbas, which is correct that they convinced the people to pick him and the people were willing to go along because their passions had been inflamed about all of this. And so, um, now... It's, it's funny how things can change because it wasn't, you know, very many days before this that his entry into Jerusalem was, was basically hailed by all the people. Yes, and, and I, I can't help but think that it, it, one of two things happened there. In, in Matthew 21, I think it is, he comes into Jerusalem, and they're laying down palm branches and all that, you see, uh, for him, as, and hailing him as Hosanna, uh, son of the highest, and so forth. Now, either they weren't the same people that were doing one or the other, and I don't think they altogether were, or they had been turned against him by the scribes and Pharisees during that week. One of the things that is also missed by English readers and Gentiles and people now living in our century in reading some of the gospel accounts, especially John, I think, is prominent in this, is this word or phrase, the Jews. We think of, when we hear as Gentiles, the Jews, we think of just common Jewish people. But I don't believe from reading the New Testament that is all how it's being used. This is, he talks uh, about the Jews and the people oftentimes, the Jews well, and I, the people. My impression from reading is that he's talking more about the rulers yes. and the, maybe the scribes and Pharisees, the more people involved in the government than there were. He, he, that's correct. These were the high class, ruling class of people, the Jews. And then there was the common people. Because those common people... I mean, the, the, the Jews, as it were, you see all this through, throughout the books, were viewed as unclean sometimes because they weren't keeping the law as fastidiously as the Jews or the, the Pharisees. Pharisees were. So they considered them not even to be altogether good Jews. Now, this is the backdrop of this a little bit. Now, when you read about Jesus coming into Jerusalem in Matthew 21, I think you're seeing the reaction of the common people. that He had performed all these miracles and he had done, you know, been a common person himself, walked among them without rustling his robes every time he walked by to make sure that they knew he was better than them. And so when he, they, they, they threw down their garments, but then he bumped up, he came into Jerusalem that week early, and he intentionally bumped heads with the Pharisees and scribes and the leaders of the Jews. Well, also, I think there's, there's something else going on here. In many cases... What was expected of the Messiah was not what was not as far as what the Jews were concerned. What was expected of the Messiah was not what Jesus no. delivered. Now the people, the people, and the scribes and Pharisees were a little bit aligned on that. They were expecting a physical Messiah to deliver them, it's particularly from particularly the Romans. But but the Pharisees and scribes were particular about this that the Messiah would more or less come from among them. They wanted somebody that went to Harvard or Yale and that worked for the New York Times. We got that problem today. Well, I know. <laughs> they wanted one of those people to be the Messiah, not one of the common people, see, from Tennessee or Kentucky or somewhere. They wanted someone of their own to be the Messiah. And so when Jesus came as a, as a Nazarene, which was not a compliment at all, it was considered to be in the boondocks, and not only that, in the Gentile boondocks, more or less. He came down here in, into Judea, and I've seen this with my own eyes, Gary, the difference in the two regions, even today, to some degree. Uh, they just couldn't, couldn't, under, couldn't believe that this man was claiming to be the Messiah, and he says he's, he's unlearned, his disciples are unlearned. They didn't go to the right schools, in other words. Uh, they just wouldn't accept him. 
And then he wasn't preaching a political thing, which they wanted. He was preaching a spiritual, spiritual reawakening and revival. Yeah, and I, I keep coming back to that because... I, I think that's the key. That's right. I think keep coming back to he was not delivering to them what they wanted or what they expected. They expected a king, someone to take, to literally take the throne of Israel, Judea, and kick the Romans out physically. Yes. Now this has, we got that problem exactly today right. with with the premillennials. Yeah, they think that there's no kingdom because we, because Christ isn't sitting in Jerusalem on a literal throne when the Bible says in Jeremiah 22, it can't happen that can't way. Can't happen that way. Can't happen. He can't rule in Jerusalem on a throne and be successful. That's what the prophets say about the Messiah. But uh, millennialists don't seem to care much about that. There's even a there's even a more subtle problem among what we can often call Christianity. Oh, I'm sorry. I I didn't know that Jerry had called. I just got a notice from the from Ray back at the station that Jerry called, but he was um, he needs to call back apparently. So anyway, if um, Jerry, you can call back if you want. If not, uh, maybe send us a text message. You can reach us by text at seven seven two two six zero sixty one twenty or sixty two twenty. That's good. That's true for all of you. If you'd like to get it, we've already had a text this morning kind of with the show's been going that direction. But we appreciate anybody that calls. If you want to call in, you can reach us at 772-340-1590, 772-340-1590. So anyway, I uh, uh, hope you will call in if you want to talk about this subject or want to change the subject. We're perfectly good with that. What, what I was starting to say was there is a lot of so-called I'm doing air quotes, in case you can't, you, in case you can't see me on the radio. Just in case, I'm doing air quotes. Uh, Christianity today, not New Testament Christianity, but what's called Christianity today. A lot of Christians that same way that the, the, they can't accept the fact that probably true Christians are never going to be accepted by the world and by society. They keep trying to do things, and they keep they keep trying to appease the New York Times and all the other people of our society. They keep trying to appease Marxists and political activists and whoever it may be, so that somehow Christianity can be accepted. And they think, and they think that this uh, that this day is somehow coming. That if we would just say the right things and act the right way and not be so, quote, judgmental, that we would be, as Christians, generally accepted by society. Now, there might have been a time, a short period of time, a little blink of the eye in the 1950s where New Testament Christianity would be acceptable in American society. I'm I'm not even 100% sure about that, about true Christianity. But I will say that I'm not expecting that time to be any, can't be now, because as it were, the Jews of our society, not, not the physical Jews, but the, the higher-ups, the Harvard and Yale elites and the intelligentsia, all the way down to many of the so-called... They're never going to accept what the Bible teaches about Jesus Christ, that he's the Lord of all, that they need to bow the knee to him. They're never going to accept that. They want you to bow the knee to them. They're never going to accept that there's a, a governor above the governor or a, a president above the president who rules the world. They, they want the federal government to be in control or the governor to be in control of everything. And the church is supposed to bow the knee to them. Well, you know, true Christians aren't going to accept that. Never have, never will. And that's kind of where we are today uh, in a lot of ways about some of these things. Well, Jesus actually told his disciples that, I believe in the apostles, but I, I think it probably applies to all Christians uh, just one passage I'll cite is John 7, beginning verse 6. He says, Then Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify of, of it that its works are evil. You go up to this feast. I am not yet going up to the feast, for my time has not yet come. Basically, Jesus says in a couple of places that not really the one I was thinking but he says the world's going to hate him because he testifies of the works that they do are evil right 
Christianity by its very existence is 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 calling attention to the evil that the world is doing. Yes, and it's a per, it's calling attention to personal change. Yes. Not political change. Personal change is what people resist. Well, in Matthew and, and 10 and 22, he says, You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Basically, he's telling them, you know, I believe you all are going to be hated because of what you teach and what you try to do. Now, that's why they're really happy, I think, Mike, when they see a Christian that is trying to do good and fails. Yeah. Now, we've got to, we've, that's exactly right. I'm, I'm kind of off track where I was trying to go with that comment, but that's okay because we've got a couple of texts that are related. Let me read these, Gary. And I, I think I need to, from John, and I think I need to dissect them a little bit. Okay before we go along here. He says, there is no record of a tradition of letting a prisoner go outside the Bible. Uh, that, that may be. I, I've read about that before. I don't know of, of, of that being true. And I have, but I have no reason to doubt what the Bible's saying here about this. There's no reason for anybody to say, oh, that didn't happen. There's a lot of things that the Bible says there's no actual, actual record of some other event. doesn't mean I don't believe it. But that could be. And he says, but he says, by the time John was written, the Jews had expelled Christians from the synagogue. And you start seeing anti-Jewish sentiments. Uh, Jesus has John overturning tables right away. Now, let me, let me break this down a little bit. It's, it's true that the Gospel of John may have been written down later in the first century than some of the other books. I, I don't know that. I know this. We have fragments of the book of John going back into the first century. Some say 125 A.D. Some say earlier than that for the John Rylands fragment and others. Uh, we have evidence. So John may have been written later in the first century because he lived until 96 A.D. or thereabouts to right. the end of the first century. He lived longer than any of the other apostles from what we know. And he, maybe he didn't write the book of John, the Gospel of John, and the book of Revelation or his epistles his epistles appear to be later books, later in the first century, and perhaps his gospels the same way. So, so that's not the issue. That, but that doesn't mean that the events he recorded happened didn't happen then. Well, I was they just, happened much earlier, back in the 30s and 40s. You see. Well, basically, I was going to say that there there's an instance in Luke where Luke points out a a Roman local ruler that up until about the last 30 or 40 years. Uh, the historians they said, oh, thought it didn't, it didn't exist. Okay, you know, and and this then they found over and, and over again, right? And then they found something, and this happens over and over. You again. need to start looking if you want to do some research into things that experts say that the Bible is wrong about, and just start looking for those things because you'll find them. But uh, uh, like Sargon's uh, temple and King or, and Isaiah, I can remember. I can remember when I was in high school, basically. Uh, one of the members of the church was talking about King David, and he says there, there's no historical record of King David. It's been in the last 40 years that we found a historical record of King David. Now, that's what I'm saying. Keep, keep uh, looking it, for things they say didn't Now, if you're going to look at those scientific things, I've got to find the article. I can't, I can't do it right now, and so don't quote me on the numbers, but the numbers are like this. If you go back and look in about 1875, there were something like 180 scientific things that were wrong about the Bible. The last one I checked, there were only 60 things wrong in the Bible that were against science. And as we keep going on, in general, the number's coming down. Well, Gary, in, my, in my lifetime, in my time of studying this matter, since I've been 18 years old or so, uh, well, I can say i got a file on my computer from a few years ago, sometime back, of 50 archaeological, 50 figures from antiquity that are mentioned in the Bible that have been confirmed by outside sources. And that's probably higher today. But I can tell you when, you, when I first started studying these things, that number was lower than that, okay? And so it's like you say. Yeah. Now, we're off the subject here, but the point I'm making about John's text is... I, I, I don't, but I'm not going to disagree with the Bible just because history hasn't found Not necessarily. I'm going to have something much more diff different than just, well, history hasn't found anything yet. Um, that, that may be true. But uh, I, I'll look into that. That's an interesting point. I'm going to do a little checking as to, uh, as to that. But uh, 
It says by the, and he said by the time John was written, the Jews had expelled Christians from the synagogue. Well, that's pro- that's possibly right. That as time goes on, from the time from the time that the gospel began to be spread from Jerusalem to the city of Antioch in, in Acts uh, chapter eight or nine, on up then till Paul begins to take the gospel to all these Jewish synagogues in Turkey and on into on into Greece, we find recorded in the book of Acts. Yes, the Jews, not the Jewish people, but the Jews followed Paul. The leaders, the scribes and Pharisees, the Judaizing teachers, followed Paul from place to place, trying to stop him from doing this. And the interesting thing about it is, these ones who were following him weren't necessarily unbelievers in Jesus Christ. They were sometimes believers in Jesus as the Messiah, but they wanted a Jewish Savior. And they didn't want the Gentiles to be able to come in and be saved without keeping the law of Moses. They're often yes. called Judaizing teachers. Yes. And so these men who were Jews by, by ethnicity and or by birth, religion, followed Paul from place to place, and they did, they did expel Christians from the synagogues. Even in Christ's lifetime, they were saying that the man, the man in the John nine, they were expelled. They were going to expel his parents if he said he, this man did a miracle, you know, from the synagogue. So his parents wouldn't want to get involved in it. Well, I was now, thinking you start about seeing then, and they were expelling Christians, and then as time goes by, yes, you start seeing anti-Jewish sentiments. What you're seeing is ant sentiments against the Judaizing teachers who were Jewish in the New in New Testament times. Not against all Jews, because Paul prayed for the Jews and taught the people to respect those who practice circumcision. Yeah, if that's so if that's the thing we're talking about, actually John could be written, you know, uh, while John could have been written, I think, even while Paul was still alive. It well, sure, have, sure. It, we just don't we don't know. And I, now the last text from so th- yes, there is Jesus. John has Jesus overturning tables right away. Well, yes, the overturning of the tables that Jesus did at least once, maybe twice, was not directed at the Jewish people or people whose religion was Jewish. It was directed at the at the scribes and Pharisees who had turned the temple into just a place to make money. The scribes and Pharisees and the Sanhedrin actually had the real control over that portion of the temple mount. Yes. And, and, the truth and they is, were probably making money from it. Well, they, the truth is they were doing something, at least on the surface it started out, as a useful service, people that came to the great feast, the four great feasts of the Jews in Jerusalem from all over, couldn't bring animals for sacrifices all the way on their journey oftentimes. And so they would wait to buy these animals until they got to Jerusalem. So they brought money for this, and then they got to Jerusalem. They would have livestock there that they could buy, and then they could take it to the temple, and the priest could offer this up for them for their sacrifice. Not not just their Passover money things, but also for other offerings and gifts that they wanted to give when they finished their pilgrimage and got to Jerusalem. So they they served a purpose of exchanging the money uh, for the right kind of currency, so they could buy the animals in the marketplaces and go to the temple. Yeah, they and they the, could make their temple contribution of the t- of the temple tax in shekels and not in whatever currency they had from where they were. But what, what they had done is taken this, they moved it into the temple area, and turned it just into a big money marketplace. And they were extorting to people oftentimes, and so they, they had to have uh, the right kind of currency so that they could go to the temple and make these offerings both of animals and of money itself. And therefore, this market, this, these money changers set up these tables probably at first to help people. But of course, once the real wheelers and dealers saw what was going on, they turned it into a place of thieves. He said, "You've turned it into a den of thieves and robbers." Well, that's why I said exchanging currency for people and even making a little profit and selling animals is doesn't make you a thief and a robber. It makes you someone who's a legitimate businessman. But they had turned it into thievery. There's the problem, and they were stealing, as it were from the people, uh, and extorting from the people. So he turned over the tables, disrupted the whole thing. This was an anti-Jewish sentiment. This was 
anti-evil sentiment, anti-thieves and robbers sentiment, as it were. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying is it's, it's one thing to exchange a currency at a generally accepted rate, but it's also when you're basically exchanging that currency at an inflated rate, now you're taking advantage or, or of Or they're people. taking advantage of language differences and, and you know, and all that and, and basically robbing the people sort of being fair about what or if you're Or if you're giving a member of the Sanhedrin a little payment here so that you can get up there and be get in that your part. animals in there, yeah. Because yeah. Bribery, bribery, was, yes. bribery was explicitly how, forbidden in the Old work, Testament. That's how things work today, even the city of Port St. Lucie. You get the contracts and you get the businesses by the people that are in power. And you make sure that everything goes both directions. Yeah, That's we, just how things work. Unfortunately, it's getting worse. Well, I, I, there was a time in my childhood when maybe I was just naive, but I believed that America was different from a lot of other countries in that respect. It didn't and, take bribery and corruption to get everything done. Yeah, Unless no. you lived in Chicago or New York. Maybe. Well, there's Tammany Hall and all the all right, Bailey exactly. in Chicago and all that. But then we've got Biden and everything else going on right now. So well, basically, and, and people aren't going to like that I said that. I didn't say that. that. Gary did. Yeah, I know. Go ahead. All you have to do is listen to what he said himself. Though. Well, I, I, I know all of the, all of the, the you, you're talking about the, the son Biden. Biden. Right. Yeah, okay, yes. That's um, pretty obvious. Now, John makes a good point here. I said it, but I didn't say it as clearly as he did. He said the texture. They needed temple currency with no graven images on it. And that's true. They couldn't bring Roman coins with images of gods and things like that on them in the, into the temple area, uh, into the temple. So if they were going to make a temple contribution, they had to exchange that currency. And so there was a legitimate purpose to what they were doing, but they became a thief and a robber. And unfortunately, this, this is what Jesus was opposed to. And Paul is, was not opposed to the Jews keeping the Sabbath day or circumcising their children or whatever the case may be. He was opposed to them doing this to replace Jesus Christ or, in addition, rebinding these customs on the Gentiles. That's what Paul was opposing. And I think Peter opposed the same thing in truth. Well, I think that's what Paul says in the Roman letter. If, if you're trying to seek sanctification through the law then you've got to keep the law perfectly. Right. But, but they, they, they wanted the Gentiles to keep it. And so, um, in any event, this has always been a confusing issue for people, but it was going on at that time. And so, what you see in the New Testament is not the beginnings of some kind of anti-Semitism. I believe, in, I believe the Roman Catholic Church, in the, few, in the centuries that followed maybe 600 A.D. when the Roman Catholic Church began, you see anti-Semitism being practiced by the Roman Catholic Church. Not Roman Catholics individually per se, and I'm talking about that. I'm not talking about you if you're a Roman Catholic. But I'm talking about the Roman Catholic Church practicing anti-Semitism and anti-Semitism becoming a tremendous force all throughout Europe for centuries and centuries. <clears throat> and... We can, you can discuss those social aspects of that, but there's no place for anti-Semitism in the heart of the Christian today. Not to be against Jews because they are Jews. We're to be against sin when it's sin, and if it's sin, a Gentile is committing it, it's, one, it's a sin. If a Jew is committing it, it's a sin. But we have no reason to be against the Jews, nor are, are we to favor the Jews in some respect. Paul says all the... All, the Gentiles would be saved in the same manner as we are. There was an equality between Jew and Gentile brought about by the gospel. So I'm not to favor one over the other, either favor the Gentile or favor the Jew. We see in a lot of modern Christian teaching, though, in premillennialism, a favoritism toward the Jews, which is, uh, which is not biblical per se, at least not since, not since the fact that all of us who are Christians have become Jews. In that sense, so in any event, um, we're way afield from where we started out, here. right? But I think we got to go back to Ken's original text. Let's be careful that we don't, um, when having the choice, say to Christ, "Crucify him," and say to this other son of the world, "We want him to live." And unfortunately, that's what people do. I'd like to hear if, you, if you, any of you know anything, know more about the Hebrew than I do even. 
about a couple of statements I've made about the word Barabbas and about this statement, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. I believe what I've read is interesting and correct, but um, you know, I'm throwing it out there not as a Hebrew scholar, of course. Well, if any, uh, we we would invite your phone calls this morning, seven seven two three four zero fifteen ninety seven seven two three four zero one five nine zero is the call-in number for the show we'd love to hear from you got plenty of time to have a conversation or ask a question uh, you can also text us like several people have already done this morning seven seven two two six zero six one two zero or seven seven two two six zero six two two zero is the subject you know Gary where did I put that article I had. I want to do a show because it's come up again here this morning. I'd like to do a show soon, and I kind of had half prepared for that this morning, and now we don't really have time to get too much further into what I want to do. It, it's the reason I've hesitated about a show on textual criticism and the validity of the new of the of the documents and all of this kind of stuff, which is an important subject, is because it. It makes pretty boring listening sometimes. I <laughs> Unless to, you're specifically interested. Yeah, in I, I have to summon all of my rhetorical powers uh, to make it interesting in this case. But, yes, and if you're interested, of course, it's all good. But reading numbers and statistics on the air when you can't see them is not necessarily helpful to some people. But I promise you we're going to do a show about this soon, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll take some questions. I'm going to try to boil down, and I... Maybe I'm not satisfied with that yet. Uh, some things I've presented on this in the past into some real, hopefully salient points, real simple salient points. You can go to our website, wearejustchristians.com. Wearejustchristians.com. Click on the uh, sermons tab, and and there in search there for textual reliability and things like that, and and you'll find some of these lessons that will come up. Um, can we believe the Bible and things along that line? Uh, you'll find a few t- lessons I've given uh, on that. There's probably some radio shows you and I have done. I think if you go to the radio, it may when you do this in the search tab, it'll search both the sermons archive and the titles of our radio shows. So I think we've done some of these in the past too. Well, we've talked a little there. bit. We've talked a little bit about it, but one of the things that keeps coming up is is reliability and how do we know but then again if you start to read other subjects you run into these alternative sources uh a source like q for matthew and you know and i I know i'm going off the subject but you read in a lot of the secular literature about these sources and it's taught in in the universities and and I was reading about some of that, and Mike, I just came to the point where one of the authors was making some comment about, well, there are things mentioned in Matthew and things mentioned in Luke that make you think that they were both reading the same document, that there was that there was another source document. It's possible, but maybe they just were at the same place well, at the same well, time. Well, and I, and maybe it came to my mind, well, why are we looking for another document when... I know there was another source. It was called the Holy Spirit. Well, that's true. And What's going on here? One of the things I want to talk about. That and, getting, and that's one of the things we need to talk about. We you're need to you're getting that. at it that I was going. I want to talk about it is that um, you have to understand the presuppositions of the textual critics in the last century or so. And their presuppositions are that all of this is made up and that we and that none of the miracles or anything like that could have ever happened, and that the people who wrote them down didn't see any of it. They were making it up as they went along. And they tried then to remove the time period. Of course, they've been unsuccessful because a a century ago, they said, well, we don't have anything before the 400s for the Bible. Well, now we're back to the first century with things we have, and that's still not close enough for them. So you have to understand that fundamentally their presupposition is none of this could have ever happened, you see. And uh, uh, John just texted in, there's a difference between a theologian and a historian. Well, that's true. But, uh, but historians are dealing, with, are dealing with factual things, and I can find historians who are going to tell you that Luke is a good historian. 
Okay. Yes. As a matter and of fact, I, I, I found have, out I may in have several more places. agreement with, and I don't know if I trust theologians either. You see, in some ways, you have to you have to understand the presuppositions of some theologians. Well, the example. Now, now Gary and I are going to tell you ours. We believe, and we have we can go and spend we, we, weeks we, talking about why we believe the Bible is the inspired word of God, and you should trust it. That's but that's a fundamental premise of this show. It isn't just made up. We haven't just come to this conclusion because we want to believe it. We have looked into this, and, and now we go back and we'll go back and look at that premise. But we're not going to hide that premise from you. Most of these scholars are not telling their students. My premise is that there is no God, or that God is not active in the universe. That He didn't inspire anyone to write any of these things. That all of these documents are simply human creations, and and that they've tried to excise all of the miracles and every other supernatural event out of the Bible. You know, Thomas Jefferson did this. You can buy a Jefferson Bible today. Jefferson, being a deist, believed in God. But he didn't believe in anything, any supernatural interaction between God and the universe. And so he went through his Bible and cut out, literally cut out, every passage that dealt with anything supernatural happening. And, and you're left with a bunch of sayings, of course. But it's called the Jefferson Bible. It, it's pretty useless. It has, no it has no power, Gary. There's no power there. The gospel has power because it's, it's something out of this world, away from whatever. But anyway, that's another story. But, but we need to examine this, the, presump the presuppositions of the theologians and the historians and see whether they can be matched up. This started in in Germany uh, in the 1700s and early 1800s uh, about the Old Testament being different sources for the book of Genesis. And so, um, you know, there's all these different... We're, we'll, but we'll talk about this. I want to get into this in more detail on another show if we can because... Well, I want to boil it down a little bit better for people. Normally, we don't get together and decide what we're going to talk about beforehand. This may be a subject that we need need to kind of maybe get together and outline before we come on the come Yeah, on the so, air. so this is, uh, John, John says this, Q source is a theory of where Matthew and Luke got material that was not in Mark. Yes. Both copied Mark. Okay, well, there are other sources for this. And, and, you know, Luke's telling you, I went and talked to the people. Now, he's either lying about that or he's a reliable person. He said, I went and researched out by talking to eyewitnesses to these events, a chronological account of the life of Jesus and, and all that he began to do and teach. That's from, that's Jesus' life all the way through the book of Acts. That's the first, of, that's the first chapter of uh, Luke. The first few verses of Luke and the first few verses of Acts right. say the same thing essentially about that. That's right that Luke is not claiming to personally be an eyewitness to many of these things, although in the book of Acts, he often says of Paul, we did this. Then he'll say, they did that. Paul and them did this. So some of the things Luke is an eyewitness to, right. some of the things he's not an eyewitness to, he's kind of telling you which, uh, which one uh, he was. Which so, kind of makes me think if Luke was using an alternative document... He would have mentioned it, right? That—that's one of the things I have the problem with these alternative documents, and also it makes some assumptions. If you're copying Mark in Matthew and Luke, it implies that Mark came first, and there are a lot of scholars that put Matthew before Luke, Mark, right? And so you, you to, to take these and things, all of them want to get these as far away from the event as possible. Right, and they want to put them into the next century, right. which I think there's some internal evidence that indicates that they were basically done within, I'm going to have to say, within 35 years of right. the events. Of course, if, even if we did have an original document that Luke wrote with his own hand, we wouldn't know it. We wouldn't know it we was a know it was. John says the Q source, also called Q document, Q gospel, or Q from the German quell, or meaning source, the source document, yeah, I've is got a hypothetical that. written collection of primarily Jesus sayings. Well, now look, okay, that's, a, that's an academic kind of analysis of writing. But, but um, I have to 
put on my skeptic's hat about some of it in that uh, th- they would condemn me as a preacher for making for speculating about different things. And yet this is a and yet that's rank speculation. This is a total speculation. They've made their living in a university or writing books based on their speculations of some other invisible, unfound, unknown document in order to discredit what we have. So um, that that's the problem. The stuff that I've read about the Q thing is is basically many of the authors say this is what. Q would look like if it exists. Right. They even right. say, you know, basically, if it exists. Uh, the Occam's razor kind of logic says <laughs> probably doesn't exist because a simpler idea would be, much simpler idea would be that Matthew and Luke, Luke through his eyewitnesses and Matthew through his own experience, saw the same things and wrote about the same things for that reason. Right. That's, that's, pretty, that's too simple. But the the other thing about it is that they all want all of these accounts to line up perfectly, and they don't. Because, but they're often forgetting that there are different reasons as to why one gospel includes these facts and not others. It isn't that the other person doesn't think that they happened or that they're important, but in the story that they're writing, they didn't fit in or weren't what was important. And and so you do have differences in the three Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And John is completely different than the other right. synoptic John, Gospels because he has a different purpose. So Now, this has never bothered me particularly to see this. In fact, I had a policeman say to me the other day in talking about some of these things that he, he would be, he gets really nervous when suspects give exactly the same account of events. Uh, that's really a red flag for an investigator when they give the same account. So I can, these same critics who want to write these books uh, are, would be more alarmed, Gary, if the, all the accounts agreed. They'd be looking for the, they would be looking for the central document or they'd say they all were witnesses that were not telling the truth. And, and when you put, especially in the last week of Jesus in the crucifixion accounts, when you put the stress and the emotion and the, fear of what was going on into these men put that into what they remember about it it becomes very clear that they're telling the truth about what they remember and the holy spirit records this in different ways it doesn't mean they didn't know anything else about it, it doesn't mean that that uh, there wasn't more to say it means that they they selected for that particular document what they want to write now um, so so let's just be be a little bit skeptical Although we can we could read and listen to it uh, without if you don't especially if you don't know the presuppositions of these fellows as to what you take at face value a lot of this stuff ends up Gary oh boy this is bad comparison it ends up and I've read some of these books it ends up sounding a lot like the Da Vinci Code um, to me and I know that's crazy people are <laughs> la- Gary's laughing but the Da Vinci Code is based on something. Dan Brown got the idea that the New Testament was all manufactured later by the Illuminati and whatnot based on secret codes in the Bible that all these texts are just secret codes of where treasures are found. Oh, I don't know what all it is. And you've got all of these things been floating around for a long time. And what you say, Gary, it's much simpler and more direct than that. Yes. And ironically enough, it's, it's a lot more powerful than that now um, well Jesus even tells the apostles before his ascension that he's going to send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is going to you know basically inform them or bring to their memory or, or do these things so that they will understand what needs to be written that it's the, and even things that he hadn't taught them yet so there is another source right well not and he, and he identifies it John texts back the the Farrar hypothesis as a competitor to Q we can get into that. But let me just say this about all that stuff. Yeah. Let me let me just summarize. That's, all those things are interesting. But since, since I, I, what I believe about it is, yes, there, there were several sources. It's obvious from what Luke says. He went to different sources of people that had been there and seen these events or even written about them. 
And he compiled a document called Luke and Acts from those sources. It's obvious there are various sources, but what we have left is what the Holy Spirit preserved for us to have. Okay? And we don't have any reason to think there's some great big hidden secret things that haven't been revealed yet in these documents because they consistently, as a rule, line up. So I believe, just for example, like we know that Paul had, been, had written letters to several churches. He refers to these in other Gospels. But the, but the ones we have left for us were the ones that the Holy Spirit chose to have left for us and were compiled. And they were the, they were the ones that were circulated and preserved by the churches. I've talked about this before. I'll yep. talk about it and, again. And we read the scripture where he told them to circulate it and read them from all the churches. I've got, I've got books and letters in my office that I know are from, are, are from intelligent, good men that I like. And I've got the Bibles in my office. I know the difference in those two texts, as it were. And, and so early churches may have had other texts that they were referring to. But they were keeping and they preserved the ones that we have. And yes, they, they weren't all collected by one person to one place as far as we know for a couple hundred years. But these letters are being circulated and they were in the possession of these churches all throughout the world. That's how they were preserved. Okay. And so that, that's, that's, not a, that's not really a problem. Well, and, here's and, the thing. I'm and, not sure how God would have done it any other way. Well, and also we know, I think, Mike, this is, this is the thing that impresses me more, that they had those documents, and the writers of the period, you know, basically in the next century and so that we have records of, quoted those documents. Well, that's what I'm saying. We know which ones they were yeah, quoting. And we know what they were quoting, and they weren't quoting, and they were quoting the ones that the churches recognized as basically what was sent by the apostles and, and the Holy and, Spirit. And in, and in truth, I know some might dispute this, when they were quoting documents like the Shepherd of Hermas, they weren't quoting them as if they were Scripture. Just like me referring yeah. to C.S. Lewis all the time or something. I'm not telling you he's yeah. inspired C.S. Lewis is not an inspired author. He is a... He's close, you know, Gary. Well, No, he's not really, but I'm no, just he, saying... He, he's an intelligent man that has some very, very good observations about it. But I know the difference between C.S. Lewis and Jesus. Yes. Okay, even though I talk about both of them, and I have both of their writings in my library. So this is a fundamental problem with some of this as far as what we should do with it. Yes, I know that there's, it may be that we can dissect it as an intellectual to write a thesis and dissect these documents and say, well, there must be other source documents behind them. I understand that. The question is, what's left? What, what am I supposed to be following or paying attention to? If all, if all of that is meant to tell me I shouldn't pay attention to any of it or throw the gospel away, then I reject that. If it's meant to say, maybe it helps me understand why the books are put together the way they are and we see the structure of them, helps me understand how we arrived at what we got, I can understand that. Because I believe from the, what the New Testament says about itself and what the Bible says about itself, that God had a hand in how these books were written and preserved. And, and that's called inspiration and then the preservation of the text. So I believe there's more to it than just an intellectual uh, thesis writing Enterprise. Yeah, well, what I want to emphasize is everything that I've read about these, the honest authors present these things totally as a hypothesis, not as anything that... Well, yeah, but you get the popular Bart Ehrman books and things like that and some others that are meant to sensationalize, and like Dan Brown in, this, in, the, in the fictional category, to sensationalize a few of the facts uh, rather than present something that... Uh, is useful. Yeah, I, I qualified that with these <clears throat> honest authors that I've right. read I agree and sources. They are all presented as a hypothesis or a possibility, not as something that is anywhere near proven. Right. And and I can see much simpler explanations, but we're about out of time. Yeah, we're, we're out of time. Thanks for listening today. We do need to go. Uh, this is We Are Just Christians, and we appreciate you being with us today. Hope you can tune in to the show next week. Take a look at our website, wearejustchristians.com, wearejustchristians.com. And you can also tune in to our live stream this morning of our service. Go to the website, and you'll find the information for that there. 
You can visit us live at 10, 11, and 11 o'clock this morning. We hope that you'll take a look at those sources, come by and visit and be with us. And until next week, may God bless you. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savota Church in Port St. Lucie on WPSL Port St. Lucie.